Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This week, Hunter Killer, straight from the airport bookshop to our screens. Oh, my God. It's a coup. We're dealing with a single rogue minister. What if we could free President Zakharin? We rescue the Russian president. Mandy is getting rave reviews from lovers of the truly unpleasant. You're a special one, Mandy. I, too... I'm a special one. And American Animals, the true life tale of a far from perfect crime. The librarian is the single biggest risk to this entire operation. Can you please not touch the model? <sighs> Hello, I'm Simon Morris. Hunter and I, we're living in interesting times at the moment with democracy under siege from dictators on the right and compromised news media on the left with more and more money in the hands of fewer and fewer megalomaniacs and I don't know what else. In other words, plenty of material for some good movies, whether your taste is for smart thrillers or black comedy satire. Dr. Strange Love. Or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the bomb. A moving <laughs> picture. Well, so where are they? Well, not here, obviously. I can't remember when modern-day issues were considered good subject matter for big-screen thrillers. The Cold War of Dr Strangelove or John le Carre, maybe. Instead, the cinema is being, if not exactly amused to death, then at least bombarded by blockbusters. Who needs real life when we've got comic books? So, how long have you been Ant-Man again? Not long. It just sort of happened. I wish I could fight bad guys like you. I seem to mess it up almost every time. So, rather than tackling what's actually going on, and I concede the argument that sometimes things are so bad that people want something to take their minds off it, we introduce fictitious bad things. This is the CIA's mission. If he had held on to the plutonium, we wouldn't be having this conversation. This team would be dead. Yes, they would. That's the job. We're offered wafer-thin James Bond villains, evil for the fun of it, or gigantic rubber monsters, digital rather than latex these days. And when all else fails, bring on aliens from the planet Implosia. The entire time I knew him, he only ever had one goal. To wipe out half the universe. If he gets all the Infinity Stones, he can do it with the snap of his fingers. 
Away from the digital dystopias of today's comic book blockbusters, one or two films do try to tackle real life, so long as any contentious political issues are safely in the past. World War II? Fine. The current messy situations in the Middle East or Latin America? Not so much. The Germans have encircled 60 British and French divisions. We are looking at the collapse of Western Europe within the next few days. How long have they got if we don't rescue them? Maybe two days. We would need a miracle to get our men out. Okay, I'm not suggesting that movies should tackle the problems that the rest of us can't or won't, but they could at least acknowledge the actual world we live in. Well, he's pretty big. This week, three films that respond to 2018 in different ways. A new horror shocker is an acid flashback to the era of the notorious video nasties. It's called Mandy, though whether you want to fly her will be a matter of personal taste. Now show him how much you love me. The fashion for a fact fiction mashup, films like I Tonya and Wolf of Wall Street, has produced true crime tale American Animals. This library is home to the most valuable book in the United States. Twelve million dollars. But first, another sort of flashback. Hunter Killer is like an old-fashioned airport book, circa 1980, turned into a B-movie. Repeat when sounding. 75, 50 feet, 40 feet. Captain. 30 feet, 25. Terminal holding, Captain. Right full rudder. Right full rudder, right, Captain. Hunter Killer is in many ways a story from an alternative reality 2018, and I suspect it was made, or at least cast, a few years ago. This is a world with a decent Russian president anxious to do the right thing, with a female American president who thinks before she acts, and a general feeling of respect between people, no matter what their politics. Tampa Bay's gone missing in the Barrett Sea. We picked up a distress signal above the Kola Peninsula. Ooh, that's Russia's back porch. Those classified systems on that boat. And 110 men, sir. Of course. So, plenty of suspension of disbelief required in the actual 2018 we live in. The story opens with two submarines, Russian and American, tracking each other under the Arctic Ocean. Then suddenly, they're both blown up by person or persons unknown. In Washington, Rear Admiral Common goes to his boss, Gary Oldman. Well, you want to go quick, but you want to go armed. Fast attack submarine. I told Sixth Fleet you want a hunter killer. We don't have one in the Yukon region, not with the rescue sub-attachment. We do. We have one. I'm not sure which is less plausible. Gary Oldman is a high-up figure in the American State Department or rapper and journeyman support actor Common being promoted to Admiral. Either way, they need to find another submarine, a hunter-killer in the jargon, to find out what's going on. He's in the region, never been a captain. Joe Glass... Where the hell did you find him? What class was he? Never went to Annapolis, sir. 
Enter Joe Glass, played by B-movie stalwart Jared Butler. These days, Scotsman Butler is the go-to guy for biggish, rather limited movies. Sometimes he's the action hero. Sometimes he's the rather lunkish lead in a romantic comedy. He's even played the Phantom of the Opera. But one thing never changes, the essential stupidity of anything with him in it. We've been ordered to cross waters that no American sub has ever crossed before. Submerge the ship. Back in Washington, another figure arrives on the scene. TV actor and pretty much sole woman in Hunter Killer, Linda Cardellini, roped in on thankless exposition duty as a CIA high-up. Linda suspects there's politics behind the scenes and under the ice. We are witnessing the most aggressive military buildup in Russian history. We've been keeping tabs on the Russian president and his defense minister, Durov. As luck would have it, there was a camera pointed at the Russian president at the precise moment his entourage is mostly wiped out and he's kidnapped by a rogue cabinet minister. Admiral Common is there to let us know what's going on while Gary Oldman sets out the film's mission. Oh, my God. It's a coup. We're dealing with a single rogue minister. What if we could free President Zakharin? We rescue the Russian president. We need eyes and ears on the ground. So it seems Jared Butler will steer his hunter-killer sub into Cold War enemy territory, while a small commando unit will do the actual presidential snatch. Leader of the commandos is Dame Maggie Smith's son, Toby Stevens. Are there no actual Americans in the entire U.S. armed forces? If we don't pull this off, it's going to be World War III. You will be court-martialed. Then it's my job to keep you alive long enough so you can testify. Hunter Killer is a Cold War action thriller of the old school with one major difference. Back in the 70s and 80s, the cast would have been stuffed with A-list stars, if only to keep the audience from getting confused by all these chaps in military uniform. Torpedoes in the water! Ship ready! Solution ready! Weapon ready! Five seconds, sir. Fire! Despite the best efforts of Jared Butler, Gary Oldman mostly phones it in and who can blame him, Hunter Killer is about as B-movie as it gets, with characters who struggle to flesh out their parts to wafer dimensions. Captain, waiting orders. We're going in with four of our boys and get one Russian president. We need a local navigator. I risked my men, I risked my ship, because it was the right thing to do. This is about our future. There's a noble Russian captain with very few lines. Sadly, the last part played by Girl with the Dragon Tattoo's Michael Nickvist, who died shortly afterwards. And a brief appearance by an American president who looks, wishful thinking, I'm afraid, like Hillary Clinton. Did we just start a war? No. But we might have still been the one. Battle stations. Maintaining the tone deafness of Hunter Killer, the Russian president is noble and democratic. The sort of chap to make you think, if only. I know there's no reason why a military thriller should be anything more than escapist entertainment, but the line between fiction and flat out lying needn't be quite as blurred as this. That's a warship. Brace for impact! 
The great dividing question in cinema, in my opinion, is do you like scary movies? For some, horror films, genre pictures, call them what you like, are pure cinema at their purest and most cinematic. Shocks delivered through ominous camera work, creepy sound and a bare minimum of dialogue. For other, more timid souls, the idea of being deliberately terrified and paying for the privilege is like volunteering to be tortured, especially when your guide into the House of Horrors is Nicolas Cage. So what are you going to do with that thing? I'm going hunting. So what are you hunting? It's crazy evil! Nick Cage is almost as divisive as the whole scary movies thing. He can be great, remember adaptation? He can be awful, face-off, say, or Ghost Rider. He can be both. I loved him in Kick-Ass. But one thing you can guarantee, Cage isn't going to let a little thing like taste or restraint interfere with his performance. Mandy is Nicolas Cage turned up to 11, but first we need to set up the premise and the character of Mandy. No, it's not Cage, it's English actress Andrea Riseborough, normally seen in more highbrow fare on the BBC. Under the crimson, primordial sky, the wretched warlock reached into the dark embrace. Mandy, the character, is a sci-fi fantasy artist who's married to Lumberjack Red, Nick Cage. They live out in the woods, accompanied only by a collection of vinyl records, mostly prog rock band King Crimson. And speaking of music... His fist closed around the serpent's eye. Strange and eternal. It's the famous tuned foghorns of the late great Icelandic movie composer Johan Johansson, who tragically died earlier this year. Nobody unnerved like Johan when he was on his game, particularly as he follows Mandy past a van full of sinister-looking hippie types. I need you to get me that girl I saw. Do you know what to do? The children of the New Dawn are clearly based on American nightmare figures, the Charles Manson family of the 60s. The Manson figure, Jeremiah, is played by another English good sport actor who's prepared to do whatever's required, Linus Roach. You're a special one, Mandy. I, too, am a special one. Coincidentally, Linus Roach is the son of Britain's best-known druid, actor William Roach, a.k.a. Coronation Street's Ken Barlow. However, I suspect modern-day druids are less into acid-fuelled homicidal orgies and more into nice cups of tea. Let us be so very special together. (laughs) 
But I digress. As well as Linus Roach's party of travelling loopies, there are even more nightmarish bikers in the background, building up to the moment when Nicolas Cage gets to bust loose and give them something to think about. The rest of us aren't offered much to cogitate on, apart from the mantra, Merciful heaven, when will this end? You think you're so in love? I'll show you love. The director of Mandy is the gloriously named Panos Cosmatos, who clearly misses the good old days of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Hills Have Eyes. To his credit, Panos has moved heaven and earth to try and bring them back. Oh, man, they wronged you. You exceeded cosmic darkness. Fans of the midnight horror genre, and there are many, even if they don't get out as much as they should, will no doubt welcome the full-blooded enthusiasm with which Mandy sets out to give its audience a bad time. It glowed from within. Strange and eternal. Most valuable players, I suppose, are star Nicolas Cage, taking care of the over-the-top part, and composer Johan Johansson, providing the deafening bottoms. But the word valuable is a matter of opinion. Mandy reminded me why I go to so few horror films and own so few King Crimson records. The new movie genre in town is, predictably in the age of fake news, a sort of fact-fiction mashup. It's a variation on the old docudrama, a fictional retelling of a true story with real-life characters popping up every so often to add credibility. We've seen it in the Oscar-nominated I, Tonya, in films like The Wolf of Wall Street, The Disaster Artist, and this week, American Animals. You feel like you're waiting for something to happen. It pains me to see you embarrass your father. But you don't know what it is. American Animals tells the true story of four young men from Kentucky who found themselves carrying out a robbery at their local university. It could have been a straight documentary told by Spencer, Warren, Eric and Chaz themselves, or it could have been dramatised with trendy, unreliable narrators. Writer-director Bart Layton chose to do both. We were in shock. I mean, we did not expect that from our son, ever. It's like we woke up in a nightmare. English director Leighton made his name with another hard-to-categorise film called The Imposter, which allowed the title character to tell his own preposterous story and upend what was otherwise a straight documentary. Well, this time, much of the film is scripted drama, though we keep coming back to real-life figures who comment on the story. There was nothing in their backgrounds that would suggest, you know, something like that would, would happen. I I was at a loss. American Animals continually plays with our expectations. The story of the four young men who went off the rails opens as we'd expect. There seem no reason, say their parents. I guess we'll never really know why they did it, and so on. 
But then the film sets out to show precisely how and why the heist of the valuable book took place. Through these doors, John James Audubon. This book is the most valuable in existence. $12 million in rare books and only one old lady guarding it. The object of the attention of would-be artist Spencer and his best friend, the rather more flaky Warren, is a first edition of the famous J.J. Audubon book of American Birds. It's worth millions, and it's just sitting in the library of their alma mater, Transylvania University, Kentucky. What? I think you know what. My heart beats in patterns through the broken sound. This is your red pill or blue pill moment, my friend. You're either in or you're out. The two young men idly fantasise about carrying out the perfect crime, and then they wonder if they could get away with it for real. Spencer and Warren start to imagine a movie being made of the great Audubon heist, and they prepare by watching every film of elaborate robberies they can find. You're in, or you're out. You're in, or you're out. How can I tell you if I'm in or I'm out without you telling me the first thing about what I might be in or out of? This would be something dangerous and very exciting. They realise they're going to need a bigger gang, and so they take on two more accomplices, the quiet, well-organised Eric and the arrogant, wealthy Chaz. With such an elite squad, what could possibly go wrong? Aren't you even curious? Well, yeah, a prison would be a nice change of scenery. The librarian is the single biggest risk to this entire operation. Can you please not touch the model? Thanks. And that's the second question that American Animals sets out to answer. With all the planning, with all the examples of movies like Reservoir Dogs, they even start calling themselves Mr. Black, Mr. Pink and so on, you'd think success would be a foregone conclusion. You really need to see how easy this is going to be. Oh, you know this from all your previous ice? But movies and real life are different, and as the wheels fall off the attempted perfect crime, we also intercut between the way the real-life robbers remembered the events and what probably happened. Can I just say how dumb this entire thing is? How do you know no one's going to get hurt? I don't want you waking up years from now wondering what could have happened and who you could have been. How accurate is their recollection? Well, that's the third question that often defies answering, not just here, but in any documentary. Half the time, the people themselves can't remember which version is the true one. As Warren says at one stage, you're going to have to just take my word. Are you sure you're OK? Come on! Oh, shit. This is my life. This isn't some game. American Animals is often hilarious and cunningly put together. It could also be one of those films where the novel's style overwhelms any substance it might have, but I don't think so. Like I, Tonya, another film redeemed by its sympathy for the flawed lead characters, the questions it asks are too interesting to easily dismiss. Well, that brings this show to a close. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week.
Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.